0: Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find
1: SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. All right, welcome in here on this Monday edition of The Early Line. It's The Grid, sportsgrid.com. Joe alongside Dane Martinez, as we look to pick up the pieces from what was a uh, just absolute craziness here uh, over the weekend, the last uh, 72 hours. Of course, uh, we have been able to have an opportunity to check our favorite teams and see did they get the players we thought? Had did our prop bets come out? Does uh, you know who won the draft? Who didn't win the draft? Not only round one on Thursday, but of course. Round twos and three on Friday, and then culminating on Saturday over the weekend, the ability to be able to round it all out, get Mr. Irrelevant, and now we get to kind of kick back here a little bit and dissect uh, what was a crazy 72 hours in the NFL draft, which, mind you, I thought went uh, fairly well with the the NFL doing their first virtual draft. I thought it was nice uh, being able to have kind of a peek inside you got good old Andy reed wearing his hawaiian shirt doing his thing you know rabel's got a kid that's on the bowl in the back um it was actually pretty cool being able to get a chance to see that dane but uh listen here at the grid we did a great job of uh, holding our own virtual draft bringing you guys uh live coverage uh kind of a first for everybody involved including the nfl but all in all, a very successful weekend, not only from those of us that were, uh, that were broadcasting to you, but of course those um, that were looking to get drafted, and some teams more than the other, Dane. And now that you've had an opportunity here to kind of walk away after you spent 10 hours here over the weekend straight of uh, covering the first three rounds of the draft, now that you've had a chance to kind of step away here, tell me, what were some of your initial thoughts? Uh, about the draft as a as a production as as a whole here, how do you think the NFL did? How did you think it came off?
0: And that and that's really the first place we should go, right? We're going to get into the X's and mm-hmm. O's, winners and the losers, the team needs, and all that stuff, and what it means as we spin it forward. But honestly, Joe, that was, I think, one of the biggest headlines of the draft. This idea that. You know, given the conditions, given the times that we are in, we had to do this virtual draft. Mm -hmm. There was so much conversation going up into it, right? Like, should they push the draft back? Should they get extra time? What will the dress rehearsal be like? There were issues, you know. But I think, ultimately, it had a positive effect, Joe. I really believe it it did. I think it humanized a lot of aspects of the draft, not the least of which is the commissioner himself. Right, the idea of booing the commissioner, it turned even into a hashtag. This idea that he's announcing the picks with like a grid of like 16 or 20 fans from that team that are booing him. I thought it was great when he was announcing a Vikings pick, they were doing the skull clap together. So I think it did a great job to humanize the commissioner. Mm-hmm. And then I think it did a great job to humanize the players that were drafted, seeing them yep. celebrate with their families in their home environments. One of the players, if you remember, had his dad, like, roll on the floor. That was hysterical. And then it also humanized the front office folk and the head coaches and the GMs of all these teams, right? I thought that part was really, really cool. Yep. You know, we see the GMs of some of these teams. Joe, this is their Super Bowl, right? Yep. They, they, they work all year to get this weekend, or last weekend, right? Right. And I thought it was so cool to see the authentic reactions of some of the GMs, of some of the head coaches, Joe Douglas with his kids. You mentioned Vrabel with his kids in costume, right? And then there's other things we could obviously joke about, like Jerry Jones on his $250 million yacht Maybe outdone by Cliff Kingsbury's pad, mm-hmm. which I thought was very cool. And then also, of course, Bill Belichick, I think doing a troll job by having his dog there, like kind of situated there <laughs> making the picks. I thought that was incredible. And the fact that, you know, we talk about how we're all in this together, right? And mm-hmm. coronavirus has us all doing work in different ways. I thought it was a great job to humanize so many aspects of the draft i truly wonder joe if parts of this the way it was done have legs and will stay in future drafts like i know the nfl is not going to miss an opportunity to have half a million people go through right. the Fan fest that vegas or nashville or philly but i do wonder if like it can be a little bit more of the norm to have mm. some these video conferencing, right? Or have maybe a GM of a team not in the war room with everybody. I do think there's some elements of this that the NFL needs to consider moving forward.
1: Yes, I agree with you. And not knowing what to expect, I think that was maybe the biggest thing is that we really just did not know what we were going to get. But what we ended up getting was a lot more reality, um, I think than than when this and I get the cities and I get what you're doing, you know, the cities bid on it. It is a spectacle, of course, but you know, life changed as we know it, uh just about a month and a half ago. So in the in the process, uh, you know, this virtual draft turned out to be a spectacle of itself in a, in a really good way, trying to get not with yeah. these big parties and you know Jameis Winston, uh, you know eating eating uh, crab legs and all that. Nothing like that. It was very, um, it was very down to earth. It was very realistic. Very, you know, small family circles yeah. and units having a good time. Roger Goodell at one point, uh, of course, not even bothering to getting up, just sitting in his right. uh, in his chair in his basement, He's calling. At that point, like us at 4th exactly. Street after hours, right? exactly
0: hours. Exactly Friday, he was in like a shirt and tie. Yes. And Saturday, uh, excuse me, on Thursday, he was in a shirt and tie. On Friday, he was kind of like him in a sweater. By the time it hit round like five on Saturday, he was just chilling in a T-shirt, lounging in his basement, you know? Yeah, exactly. Think, again, it humanized everything from a more personal aspect, fitting with the times that we are in.
1: I And I thought it came out uh, great all around the board. And now, of course, here we are approaching the end of uh, April, of course, which means uh, the possibility for a lot of places the end of uh the quarantine uh in some states there uh, on a lot of places are beginning to or at least trying to put together some plans to uh kind of uh get it going again and try to get back to at least some sort of normalcy in places including uh the nba which over the weekend announced that they're gonna go ahead and allow some team facilities to open up in states of course that Uh, are gonna be in a position there to allow that to happen, not group practices, so to speak, but individual uh, players who wanna come and work out and use the facilities, they are going to allow that to open up. Of course, that is really the first step um, towards getting back to the court that we have heard uh, since they all walked off the court with the announcement of Rudy Gobert coming down with the coronavirus uh, back in the middle of March. So. That looks like it's going to happen come Friday, uh, May 1st. That's uh, they announced that that's what we're going to do. Uh, They haven't announced who, what, where obviously teams in New York and L.A. uh, That's going to be a little bit of a different story, but certainly other places, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, for instance, uh, some of these places where it looks like some states are going to be trying to get back to some normalcy and kind of opening things up a little bit at a time. Looks like the NBA will start to have some uh, We'll have we'll have some players, at the very least, beginning to get back into shape for whenever that might be that they do decide to continue the season and, of course, eventually crown a champion.
0: Yeah, and what I think is interesting, Joe, is remember about a few weeks ago, we were starting to say that whenever these leagues, whether it's mm-hmm. the NBA or otherwise, whenever they come back, right. there's going to need to be two, three, maybe a full month of kind of runway for this right that practice we need we talked about how athletes need to be back in quote-unquote game shape right we can't just drop them in the nba playoffs so we can't just have opening day of the major league baseball season we've said this for a while that there will need to be some kind of period of time right where they are back and practicing and to me with this idea i saw the same thing i'm saying may 1st some facilities may open If you are in states where the restrictions are being eased, right, because they are going to follow the government advice, right? They're not going to do it unless, like, the governor or the mayor or whatever the powers that be are saying we're easing those restrictions. So I do think this is the first signal, and I'm excited by that, of course. Yeah. I'm happy that it looks like they're doing this in the, the, the phased way, right? And now allowing for teams to get back and start practicing or get back to their individual drills so they can, if and when this thing's open up for games, yep. they can be in the right, you know, kind of in the right game shape.
1: We did, of course, and, and listen, we've said it all month. We said, all right, you know, come May 1st, um, that is going to be the time for us to, or at least these leagues to be able to have enough information. We had hoped that come May 1st anyway, Uh, We know they have enough information to at least be honing in on a plan, Uh, not knowing whether or not that plan is going to be able to come through fruition, of course, but that we would at least have an idea of where some of these leagues are uh, heading to now. And it looks like the NBA has uh, begun the ability for players and teams to be able to start moving back into some of the facilities. I would anticipate that this week we'll also hear from major league baseball for instance the nhl um if the nfl continues to do business as usual which is it's what they've always done it's what i would do as well until you hear otherwise uh, we're not really at that point with the nfl at this time to have to begin to push things back or maneuver along those lines but sure. i gotta feel probably the end of this week dane will at least um have some a little more clarity uh which is really all i think we all wanted as fans to say just We don't need exact times. We don't need exact dates. Just give us a little clarity as to where you're thinking now and what what needs to happen, so to speak, in order for us to get back to a place where we can get our sports back.
0: I've always said that, right? It's not about the date. It's about, like, Mm -hmm. the markers that we need to accomplish in order to proceed to kind of, like, the next phase, right? And we see this even on a government scale with this phase one, phase two, phase three. It's not about a date. It's about, hey, when you satisfy X, Y, and Z conditions, we can try opening up a little bit more. Yep. And when that works, whether it's 14 days of declining cases or whatever the case may be, what are the parameters right. for us to move, you know, kind of more in that direction, Joe? As it relates to the NFL though, the NFL still has the luxury, Joe, of time on their side, right? They don't they don't get going until the fall. OTAs and stuff don't happen until the summer. They will they get the luxury of the NBA, Major League Baseball, MLS, and other sports, having to figure it out kind of before them, the NFL gets lucky, in my opinion, that them actually coming together to practice or to gather something not like the NFL draft or free agency, them actually coming together, they're going to be able to just follow on some level you know, or take yep. the cue from, say, Major League Baseball or the NBA. It's Major League Baseball or the NBA that is going to be the one that has to make these decisions in consultation with local governments and what have you. Right. You say it all the time, Joe, you don't want to be the first one and you don't want to be the last one. Lucky for the NFL, because of the schedule and the calendar, they will not ever have to be the first one at this point. No,
1: exactly. And, and I think really also it's getting to the point where, um, a, a lot of folks in, in many parts of the country are saying, all right, it's uh, we need to hear something here, guys. We're anticipating, uh, you know, some states, again, moving forward, beginning to open up the uh, the businesses, economies kind of given folks. And they're not going to do it all at once, but there are going to be certainly uh, places here in this country that are going to be, shall we say, <clears throat> more able to host. Teams and games and those types of things than others. So the real question, I think, certainly with Major League Baseball is identifying what those states are going to be. And when now can we expect some of these players? Who many of them listen, they've been staying at home. They're in condos. We've seen it. Guys are taking batting practice in their living room. They're hitting nets. They're doing everything they can. Pitchers, guys doing their, you know, the very best that they can. And we know two of the major cities and and major metropolises that carry a number of professional teams, West Coast, East Coast, uh, they are kind of, you know, they're kind of at a disadvantage right now with some of these other teams. So I do think it's going to be interesting how they get it revved up, how they get everyone at least back to a facility in order to do it. Uh, But I do think, of course, we are, and just think about how crazy this is, Dan, where we are now. Uh, with this virus and as compared to where we were just two three weeks ago when we started in april uh the extension to april 30th felt like um, it was going to be a million years but here we are Dane. we're coming up on april 30th and really the next couple of months are going to be vital in order for us to be able to get get our sports back places like vegas places A lot of places right now are getting ready, and I don't blame them, of course, everything in moderation. Uh, A lot of places are getting ready for any sort of normalcy, which is great, and that includes, of course, getting some of these sports teams and these athletes into a position to remain safe, but of course, remain to to be able to play some games here coming up over the next few months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely understand the push and pull Mm -hmm. out there, right? And every kind of facet of it, you know, yeah. the idea of earning money versus the idea of the public health, the idea of getting back to normalcy with the fear mm-hmm. of second wave. You know, for me, the biggest thing here that makes it so complicated, Joe, is if you talk about a league of sports in America, those teams and franchises are spread out all across the country. Yeah. Right. And every single state is going th- or is experiencing this virus and the curve as it were. In a different way with a different apex on a different time frame. And mm-hmm. that's so interesting to me. You talk about, say, the coast or New York, you know, be or Florida or some of these other states that are more affected. And but New York, for example, is supposed to be, you know, flattening the curve on the way down. What happens now when some other region of the country or another major city in this country all of a sudden starts to spike? You know, we're almost doing, we're trying to treat. 50 different curves as though they are the same curve. And that's really complicated part to me for any of the calculations about what's safe, what's prudent, what's the cost benefit analysis of opening, right? Because that calculation is different in New York than it is in Atlanta, than it is in Oklahoma city, than it is in Portland, than it is in California. And that's where it's so complicated, quite frankly.
1: Yeah. It's, It's going to be a very delicate balance here, but I do think uh, also it's going to be uh, this week's going to be very telling on the information that comes in and when we uh, what we can expect when we can expect it. We are not. uh, There are definitely never going to be people that uh, are uh, 100 percent on board one way or the other. But this really isn't a matter of appeasing everybody. It's uh, it's trying to do what is smart, what is feasible, uh, because we all know. This can't continue much longer. It's really not going to be able to live life and sustain life as we know it doing this uh, much longer. So I do think, come May 1st, come this Friday, we should all have a much better clarification as to the direction that uh, that professional sports in this country, and of course everything that trickles down and comes along with that, will be getting back to at least some normalcy. But in the meantime. We got a lot to cover from what happened over the weekend in the NFL draft. Also, a lot of uh, trades and and signings and, uh, you know, all sorts of things happened over this weekend in the NFL. Uh, Not just, of course, with Joe Burrow, what a shocker going from Cincinnati, but all of the other big question mark uh, sort of free agents or or disgruntled, uh, shall we say, employees of some of these NFL teams. Uh, what direction are they going? It's kind of fascinating, Dane, when you had a minute or two to be able to step back and, and look at construction of what happened here over the last, you know, 72 hours or more. There are definitely some winners from this weekend, and there are there's some head scratchers. Well, I don't even know if they won. It's so damn head-scratching, I don't even know if they won have lost. I just I can't tell. Uh, but then there are that definitely groups of, I think, some teams that had opportunities to make a difference, but they didn't. So, Dane and I will go over our list of uh, winners and losers and some of the big storylines and teams that are swapping players and big-name signings. Everything you need to know will it for you coming up next here on The Grid. It is the early line. It is SportsGrid.com.
2: SportsGrid.com, betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering, real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome
1: back in. It is the early line on the grid, SportsGrid.com. Joe Ranieri alongside Dane Martinez as uh, we are back. Very important week. Right now, given uh, everything that, uh, as a country, as a sports fan, as a individual, that as a human, that we have had to go through over the last uh, 45 days or so, Dane, I, I, this will go down as a period in time, of course, that uh, will is truly unlike any other that we have seen, my man. It is just, uh, it is nuts on so many levels. But yet here we are, man. We find ourselves in a situation where there's not a whole lot, um, shall we say. Nothing has been consistent. Uh, it's kind of been uh, a very unique thing uh, and a lot of unique happenings. But the one thing that we, even leading up to this last month or so, Dane, the one thing that with the time frame that we had circled, uh, which gave us a little bit of normalcy in a very crazy, crazy atmosphere, uh, was the NFL draft, and we got it. A lot of speculation, and I know, Dane, we talked about it for weeks leading up to it, and. You know i had said listen this is going to go one of two ways this is either going to be the craziest thing we have ever been involved with in our life uh there is going to be for all caution out the window we're just going we're trading we're doing we're doing all these things or it was going to be one of the chalkiest uh you know draft that we have seen in a long time and certainly when it came to the top of that draft uh that top 10 there dane not a whole lot we did not see coming. And the idea of people jumping up and moving for Tua and all of those prop bets that came along, Dane, it was, uh, shall we say, uneventful uh, to say the least. Very chalky Detroit fielding calls. Washington, would they or wouldn't they take Chase Young? When it came down to it, the biggest names on that board kind of went to exactly the teams they, they thought, that we thought they were all going to go to. And can I tell you something? I don't fault the teams' smart decisions, right players at the right time, and nobody went crazy until we got to of course that middle of the uh first round there, but at least the top half, the stars, the the, the right players went to the right teams.
0: Yeah, I would I would agree with um pretty much all of that, Joe. You know, and 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 I do think you and I have now been in this game for a little while. You and I talked about it as smoke screen season. you know, so when we were hearing those reports, we mm-hmm. had le- at that point, we were like, "Eh, we had the b s meter up a little bit more. We were like, "Is this really a smoke screen? Does this make sense?" There were a lot of things that were coming out in the week leading to the draft where Joe, you and I were like, "ah!" Eh. I don't know, this may be just an effort to depress the market or to dissuade others from trading, right? When others may have reacted left and right to every report that they saw. Ultimately, it did go, I would say, relatively chalky and say, like the top 10. And I wonder, Joe, I get. I want to get your thoughts. Do you think that was more a function of kind of the unique situation we were in? You know, the idea that these teams maybe couldn't invite all the players in. Mm-hmm. Maybe have three four different gms on the horn at the same time to talk trade while they were on the clock you know do you think that this was the you know coronavirus virtual draft do you think that made it more likely for it to go chalky and have no trade say in the top you know 10 or 15 like it happened
1: that was definitely one of my concerns was that we you know let's not overthink this we We already know a lot of teams uh, were not going to have the opportunities to meet face-to-face, nor were their doctors and staff going to be able to meet players like Tua, real game changers. Um, They're really, you know, that was always going to be a problem and a big question on who was willing to risk it. I think the other factor that played into why this thing started out so chalky at the top was because this draft especially was filled with – game-changing players, with 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 guys that could absolutely help and change the direction of a franchise. And when you have that much talent, Dane, there's not really a need, so to speak, to reach and sure. to try, you know? I mean, because when you look at how this draft ended up working out, like when Isaiah Simmons falls to number nine, right. that tells you everything you need to know. And we're not ripping anybody one through eight for the players that they chose. And Simmons, you know, many of us thought was going to be a top five. falls the number nine. That's the kind of quality of player. I think that that would help understand and explain why it is that the draft kind of started out the way it did. Because so many teams, you just, you couldn't go wrong, especially with those first 10 picks. Yep, You weren't going to make a mistake one way or the other, Dan. And that goes to show you just how good this class really is, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's one way of looking at it. The other way I'm saying is this idea that, you know, in especially the context of this unique year and the virtual mm-hmm. draft and all that stuff, yep. listen, if you just make a pick, that's one level of risk, right? If you trade up to make a pick, that is shining yep. a little bit of a light on the GM, right? And the fact yep. and their kind of trust that they're going up to get their guy or that, that it will be a good pick. So there's more reputational risk to you as a GM if you go up and make the move. So that could be part of why it didn't happen as well. But when we look at the top, oh, I'd say 11 picks, Joe. I don't think there were any huge surprises, okay? I would say that one was a small surprise for me, was the New York Giants at four. Not that they went offensive linemen, but when you had the choice of all four offensive linemen that was still on the board, pick Andrew Thomas as the cream of the crop, was something that I didn't see in a lot of other places, okay? I saw Wills or Worfs being kind of the uh, first one off the board at the tackle position, and the Giants and Dave Gettleman seem to prefer Andrew Thomas. But again, this is not something that I think is a huge
1: Exactly. Issue.
0: I'm yep. not going to you know, completely make fun of Gettleman. He went offensive line. Maybe his board had Thomas above Wills and Wirfs. Um, So that's fine, right? Everyone was saying that all four of these guys were graded to be no. high-end pick. So I can't fault him there. The only other one that I kind of I guess I would say got wrong per se, was the Cardinals at eight. You said they got Isaiah Simmons. They took him number eight overall, Joe. Mm-hmm. And hey, I thought the Cardinals were another team that could have prioritized the offensive line. Right. We were talking about them protecting um, Kyler Murray as a priority, right? They go Isaiah Simmons. Now, I ain't mad at the Isaiah Simmons pick. He is a very talented player. Right. And what I, what I think is one of these also takeaways for me for the draft, Joe, is this idea of versatility. Yes. We're seeing more and more the positionless defensive player in the NFL, right? Like, and the idea was, Well, is he a weak side linebacker? Is he a safety? Is he a corner? Like, is he an edge? Is he a linebacker? That's less important as more and more teams go to this kind of amoeba defense, right? And so I think Isaiah Simmons is a playmaker and a football player, and so it is fine there. I just thought they would go O-line. But then, Joe, the Arizona Cardinals are one of a number of teams that kind of played chicken and stared it down, you know what I mean, and risked it. And still, ultimately, got what they wanted later on in the draft. For example, Joe, with the Cardinals at number eight, I thought a need was offensive line. We had talked about it before. They waited. They were patient, and ultimately, they still got Josh Jones yep. in the top of the third round. You know, you've, I'm sure you've seen the movie Braveheart, yeah, right, yeah, Joe? Yeah. When William Wallace is there, and like the horses are charging at him, and he's telling his whole crew to hold, hold. Bold, that's what I feel like a lot of teams had to have kind of the testicular fortitude that's to correct. be able to do in a number of situations in this draft. There's a few of them. Our guy Joe Douglas certainly did it as it related to the wide receiver position. Right. But I think that's what Arizona did there. And it worked out for them because they still got Josh Jones in the third round. That's correct. Some mock thought he was a late first round kind of talent. Yep. So those are the only places in the top 10 that I would say weren't like huge surprise or weren't huge head scratchers, but were the places that sort of deviated from conventional wisdom.
1: Yeah, there was, um, and again, I think that just goes to speak uh, on the the quality of the kinds of players that were yeah. available because we've, we've had drafts in the past where we're very top heavy and then the rest was like, whatever, who cares? Take, you know, at this point, they're all the same. Uh, but I do think that there were opportunities for some teams to get first round talent in the second and third round that uh, guys, for whatever reason, injuries and uh, whatever the reason may have been, but I do think there were certainly, and you saw it with the the amount of moves that were made where teams really went out of their way to either to trade up and do certain things at certain points outside of the first round where um, you don't often go up and, and do that and, uh, and take the kinds of players that they were taken if they weren't really convinced and, there was a lot of that in the second and third round here, which, again, I, I think when you look at this draft and was Simmons was just one of the guys here, the fact that, um, and I, I love how there weren't a lot of surprises. We did offense, defense a lot uh, throughout right. the draft of what would a team go. For the most part, it all fell right to what we thought it was. Now, we did think, of course, that the Cardinals would go ahead and, and go offense, so- but you're not expecting Isaiah Simmons to be there at number 8 like you said you got to go with the best player on the board and when you're top 10 that's not nobody's going to fault you for that i mean cliff kingsbury is an offensive guy could you it just some some guys just become too good and we had said it dane what was going to be that player that was going to fall further than we thought they were some thought Akuda, depending on what detroit was going to do detroit goes and gets Akuda does exactly what we think they're going to do. I don't. I think by the time we got the eight, the Cardinals were like, "Isaiah Simmons is here? Like, really? Like, you, you know, Kingsbury in his pad, looking like something out of Miami Vice, was duty was spot on. You can't. Some guys you just can't pass up because you don't think they're going to be there. Dan, and sometimes best player on the board means get the band best player on the board. You can never go wrong with that philosophy.
0: No, I, I'm with you, Joe. You know, especially at the top ten, especially yeah. when we're talking about a guy like Isaiah Simmons, who many people believe to be a, a future star in this league, right? So he, you know, did the William Wallace hold or right. made the calculated risk, played the game of chicken, and wound up still with Josh Jones in the third round. It's not like he didn't know that was still a need, or him and Kime, let's say, the office, the team didn't know that that was still a need, and then they addressed that need i would say for example the new orleans saints were mm-hmm. all similar they go and get ruiz in the first uh the back half of round one when a lot of people yep. thought that linebacker may be a place they went and i believe patrick queen was still on the board when they made their pick in the first round what do they then do they see nick Bonn still on the board at the beginning of round three and they were like we still got a chance to address this need they went up and traded for him because they saw him still on the board they were like oh let's go right now and go get our guy the new york jets did a similar thing at the wide receiver position we were wondering some people thought at number 11 overall they would start the wide receiver run they did not kind of making the calculated risk that a starting level wide receiver would be there for them in the second round Then when their pick comes up in the second round, they trade back again, again, taking the calculated risk that the guy that they ultimately want or would be comfortable with will still be there. They go all the way back, I believe it was to 59, and still address the issue, getting the wide receiver out of Baylor, Denzel Mims, who is going to wind up being a day one starter for them. So this idea Mm -hmm. of like uh, calling the bluff or reading the market or playing chicken with it, and taking the calculated risk, I thought it was a big-time story, and it worked out for a lot of teams that decided to um, take the gamble.
1: There were, and, and again, high-quality players available through three rounds of an NFL draft says something, guys, says something about the quality of the, um, certainly, the, the programs that are coming, where college football is today, and I think the message is loud and clear, and if you're watching here, boys and girls, moms and dads, Uh, if Junior wants to play in the NFL, he better go to the SEC. I'm just saying it, all right? It is not that hard to figure out. You want to go to the NFL? You want a ticket to the NFL? That ticket is through um, the SEC who set all sorts of records, of course, with players uh, getting drafted, which it really comes as no surprise since they've been doing that since 2007. Every year, they've always been the conference with the most NFL players. But if there was going to be a shock here, maybe at the top of this draft yeah. um, two of falling to Miami is as, as crazy. And especially, and I know a bunch of dudes who lost a lot of money in prop bets thinking this week he was going before number five, but Miami, I thought did an amazing job too. They sat there patient and said, you know what? He's here. I'm getting him." They weren't going to go out of their way. They weren't going to panic. They did. He was there. They took him. Brilliant, right? The Chargers now all of a sudden have the opportunity to go, all right, what do we do? Do we load up or do we? No, they obviously loved Herbert. And so when he is there on the board, that's what you're going to do. But what happened by the Giants going chalk, by Miami and the Chargers going chalk, that all of a sudden had situations where when the Jets came at 11, which is where we thought that wide receiver run was going to happen. Um, all of a sudden they've got a guy now for the next 10 years that's going to protect Sam Donald and how how he even fell to the, the, the Jets is beyond me and how the Jets didn't screw it up and let him drop even further is also amazing in its own self but then of course at number 12 we started to see um we started to see that but Jerry Judy sitting at 15 for Denver Denver my, I don't know what they did Dane I don't know what kind of Christmas uh wish they got there that was tremendous for them we thought they might go receiver anyway to uh to help of course with Drew Locke we yeah. didn't think it would be Judy there to be able to help them. and you know Jerry Judy being there and then, of course, C.D. Lamb falling to the Cowboys was yeah, just I both of them. It's crazy, absolutely yeah. crazy. They they stayed on the board that long, and we're talking about game changing receivers here from day one in the NFL, Dane. And they didn't go until 15, which is mind blowing to me.
0: Yeah, I think the wide receiver market was another one of my big takeaways mm-hmm. for this draft, Joe, on a number of levels. And I know we're about to go to break mm-hmm. in a minute or two, so maybe we keep this conversation on the other side, yep. right? We heard there were so many wide receivers, 10, 15, 20, that could go early on. I really think what's interesting is the supply and demand of it all, right? Yeah, absolutely. teams, when they were up and had to make an individual decision, do I take one of these wideouts or do I take the calculated risk that they'll still be there later on, decided to address other needs, but specifically Lamb and Judy, I think for different reasons, Joe, and maybe we can get into it on the next segment, I literally believe that those two picks shine a huge spotlight on the quarterbacks of those two teams. Yep. And we can talk about it more on the other side. We
1: will do that. Yeah, plenty, of, uh, plenty more to talk about in that wide receiver position. Who went first, who they went to, and what team spent the most capital sure. improving that wide receiver position. So much to talk on that. A lot of different angles, of course, to, uh, to still dissect It is the NFL Draft. It is over, but we're just getting started here. It is the early line. It is the grid. It is sportsgrid.com. And I'll be back after this.
2: SportsGrid.com, betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering, real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: All right, welcome back in here to The Grid. It is the early line. I'm Joe He's Dane Martinez. As we continue to hash it out, break it down, so many different ways to look at the 2020 NFL draft a first in so many ways, uh, Dane, uh, when it comes to starting, of course, with the virtual draft and uh, a draft that many people were looking so forward to because names like uh, Herbert and, uh, you know, Tua were in it, along with just some absolute uh, ferocious defenders like Chase Young and Joe Burrow, for instance, at the top. I mean, there was just so much intrigue heading into this draft so many quality players that players from all across the country and all the conferences that could be difference makers and that to me is the hardest part is finding guys in a draft and we've seen some of these drafts before years later where you look back and you go now was a lot of hype not a lot of substance over here there are a lot of players that Uh, get to know them and and of course we'll go over this as the week progresses too certainly from a fantasy standpoint there are some guys that are going to be fantasy monsters here from day one in the NFL but we talked about very interesting still at the top of this board when you look at that run when wide receivers started to go off now it started with henry Rux, which again we kind of i know a lot of people are very skeptical about this and said it was the ghost of al davis past. you basically went with the guy who's the fastest the, the shiny new toy well, i up <laughs> i get it you know what i mean listen tyreek i don't think this is so much a product of al davis as it was a product of what tyreek hill has done and what he has brought to the table in that same division by the way um against kansas city i i think it's that what tyreek hill has brought to that team into the nfl when you had an opportunity to go get him all right because Ruggs and tyreek certainly coming into the nfl pretty much same skill set here guys pretty much the same thing uh and now of course they're hoping that they've got their own version when they go up against kansas city and say how do you like that so i don't hate it i, I mean everyone thought judy might have been better a city lamb but again. I don't think you could going to went wrong with all three of them. Quite honestly, we thought Judy had already been off the board by the Jets, so he wouldn't have been the first, but he turns out to be the first. And by the time the Cowboys came around, and this is a classic case, Dane, of holy crap, I they don't need receiver. It wasn't a pressing need for the Cowboys, but it is one of those classic, oh, boy, he's on the board. We can't pass him up. And that's exactly what happened to the Cowboys with CeeDee Lamb. So, you know, Rugs, Judy to Denver, huge for them, huge pickup for them. And, of course, CeeDee Lamb falling in the lap of the Cowboys, who now quite honestly could have um, the best one-two combination there in the NFL and receivers next year. Not to mention, of course, Michael Gallup they still got, had a great year. All of a sudden, more weapons, more weapons, more weapons. Oh, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with Dak, uh, but they better figure it out because if he can't get it done with these weapons, oh, we got some problems.
0: Yeah, and, you know, when I told you uh, there were a couple of these wide receiver picks where I think the light now shines on the quarterback, Yeah. this is absolutely one of them. I going 17 overall to the Dallas Cowboys, and I frame it in a similar way as you do, Joe. It was not a need pick. Jerry Jones is on his yacht, you know, being like, hey, I can get I can get another Oklahoma guy. What do you know? And by the way, Dallas takes two Oklahoma players, one from Tulsa, you know? So the idea of Oklahoma guys there with Jerry, it continues, shall I say. But I do think this is a very interesting kind of onion to peel the layers back on, Joe, right? Mm-hmm. They get C.D. Lamb at number 17. You mentioned that they have already paid Mari Cooper. Right. You mentioned that they have already used legitimate draft capital last year or two years ago to get Michael Gallup, right? Mm -hmm. And now C.D. Lamb at the first round level, I and and this is nothing negative about who C.D. Lamb is as a football player. He deserves to be drafted in the first round, right? But then you have these three wide receivers. You also, Joe, have paid your running back at an exorbitant amount. And this running back, last time I checked, Joe, every time he's healthy, he leads the NFL in carries. Yep. Right? So – I guess my question then is, do you envision the Cowboys to be a run-dominant team or a passing team? Because if they're a run-dominant team, then I think the C.D. Lamb pick was a silly use of assets. Right. If they are going to evolve to be more of a throwing team under Mike McCarthy like he was in Green Bay, so be it. But then you didn't need to pay Zeke that money, and you could replicate that production for what you want um, in a different route. I also think because you go and get CD Lamb and you say, "Hey, we've got everything you need, Dak. Now go make it happen." I think you are you're setting yourself up for the drama. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, it's gonna happen. Because let me tell you what's gonna happen: Dak Prescott's gonna go out there, right? And he's gonna put up great statistics, and the Cowboys' offense will look dynamic. Then what are you going to do, Jerry? Especially against you know, worse you know, teams. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Then what are you going to do, Jerry? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I just think that by giving him the extra weapon, mm-hmm. you then frame this weird drama later on. And if you're going to be a run-heavy team, you didn't need the wideout. If you're going right. to be evolving this way, then you're going to create drama with Zeke Elliott. I think they are painting themselves in a corner, Joe. Yep.
1: I – um. I get why you do it. You you don't often get that kind of I, position sitting at seventeen. It. I got I, no problem with it. I mean, you could have went edge rusher there, I which is what you need more than anything else. I, I get it. But the fact that he is there now, what do you do? Well, you can't cry over spilt milk. You already paid Zeke the money. So now you've got to hope that Mike McCarthy is the guy that is gonna take all of these pieces, these new shiny toys that you got, some old, some new there, and he can make Dak prescott a championship caliber quarterback because that's really what it's going to come down to now anything the only thing cd lamb did here was ratchet it up another notch for the dallas cowboys where anything less than a super bowl appearance and even a win is a utter disgrace all right and you know that's coming dan as i do this is going to be cowboys I don't want to hear it comes down to week 17 and you got to beat the Giants to win the division. Like you better win and you better be winning big. But the problem with the Cowboys has always been and the knock on on Dak has been you. You look all world against the lesser teams, the better competition teams. That's when you go MIA. That's going to be the problem here. You give 100 million to a wide receiver now, Amari Cooper, who we can argue all day on whether or not he is a $100 million wide receiver. You also go ahead and you overpaid for a running back that you probably could have replaced. But you you got got, them now. You got (laughs) them all now. So now it's up to Mike McCarthy. To me, maybe, just maybe, after it's all said and done, the most important pick of the Cowboys over the last two years was that coach and going with Mike McCarthy. Let's see what he can do and how he can make all of this go. Defense still going to be a problem, but it's quite obvious to me that you've decided if I score 60 points, it doesn't really matter if my defense is worth a crap, right? So and I, this is going to be all offense, Dane, all offense with the Cowboys they, all day.
0: And here's the thing, Joe. You know, in the second round, they get Diggs, the cornerback, addressing... Right, which they, is great. I got no problem with that either. Yep. They, they do go defense, kind of with the rest of their relevant picks in the draft, shall we say. I just... I faulted from a kind of team construction side. Right. You know what I mean, Joe? like Given the given the wide receivers you had, given the running backs you have, given yep. what you're already going to the table with, I don't know that this should have been the priority right. despite the fact that the amazing talent that C.D. Lamb is was still on the board. Joe, the other one, though, was in Denver. Okay, in Denver where Jerry Judy goes, right? He goes 15 overall to Denver. Joe, I got to tell you, um, you mentioned it before they're in the division with the Kansas City Chiefs, right? So they're on some like, well, we're going to have to score some points. I believe, and I know you've said that you have confidence in Vic Fangio, their head coach, the defensive side of the ball is going to be okay.
1: Yes,
2: yes, it will.
0: Know about that. Joe, Denver is shoving their chips to the middle of the table in support of second-year quarterback Drew Locke, right? So in a similar way, like, hey, all eyes are on you, Dak. Make it happen. But there's the contract aspect in play. For, da- for Drew Locke, it's just like, hey, are you the dude or not? You know what I mean? Sure. And, like, They already have Cortland Sutton, who is emerging as a top-end wide receiver. Mm-hmm. right? They have the tight end who they like in fence. They go out and sign Melvin Gordon and spend money to do so. Now you put in Jerry Judy with your first-round pick. You double down on it, Joe, in the second round. K.J Hamler, we talked to you can talk to Jared Smith, who was a Penn State guy, Arielle, a Penn State girl. Yeah. KJ. Hamler is the perfect little slot receiver, is the dynamic aspect. So you got your outside receivers. Yep. And Joe, I'll go even further. You may not have like seen it because it was a day three pick, Joe, but in the fourth round, they get Albert O and mm-hmm. out of Missouri. By the way, Drew Locke went to Missouri. By the way, Albert O was 4.3 in the 40, the fastest tight end out there. They are giving Drew Locke all the weapons that he could possibly need. I feel comfortable about Denver on the defensive side of the ball because yep. they, their pedigree is always there. They still have Von Miller, and their head coach is able to do it. I think Denver was one of the big-time winners, yep. and they added pieces where they needed to and are shoving all in. You know, we'll see what Drew Locke is made of,
1: huh? It, it, well, they obviously believe in him because if you, you better sure. believe in him because you're going out of your way to make sure that he's got the weapons around yeah. him uh, in order to be able to make some plays. And he is, I mean, without a doubt, we've got certainly been in a situation there where um, Denver has decided and has done it smartly going, listen, we are going to give our quarterback, our young quarterback, every weapon known to mankind this has been a problem with the jets for so many years is that you you get yourself a new quarterback and you spend the first three picks on defense like yeah. it's it's kind of been that like Sam Darnold is a guy that's like all right so we're giving you a bunch of b and c players on offense go out and make something happen uh i love that what they've done here is they said okay we're going to give our this kid a, an opportunity who's shown flashes now we're going to go out give him uh, give him some young guys we're going to go out and give him some playmakers so uh, no Hey, and we're back. All right, good. Yeah, thank you very much what for that. that this, this brought to you by Duracell. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. What was go right? Yes. At? Let me go ahead and finish my thought there. That at least we're not criticizing uh, John Elway this draft of picking a quarterback uh, that may or may not make it. I love teams in this draft, Denver included, that obviously, and to me, this is always the most important part. What is your identity as an NFL franchise as okay. a team? What is your identity? And then you take that identity and compare it with how you approach a draft. And Denver is a team that has decided what they're going to be, who they're going to be. And they went out and drafted for that. They're going to give Drew Locke every chance to not, you know, to, to succeed here. They are going to do everything they can in order to, to surround this guy with kids that the kids that yep. can play. Uh, Which is great. I got no problem with it. Dallas, too, has decided, listen, we've got weapons now on offense. We're going to be able to score with the best of them. The Kansas City Chiefs aren't going to score them. Um, The Jets, finally, to me, I thought they have an identity. It's quite obvious what they have done here, certainly with the offensive line um, that they picked around there, wide receiver, the defensive style of players that they went to get. The Jets are looking to get younger. Faster, more athletic. And oh, yeah, they got a nice little mix of veterans too that they went out and got here over the last couple of days. So to me, Joe Douglas and Adam Gase, my biggest fear was two guys not on the same page here because that's what's happened in the past with Gase, certainly during draft time. Yeah. But it appears to me the New York Jets were on the same page. Joe Douglas and Adam Gase are on the same page. I now know at least what the Jets are putting together. I know the identity they're looking to put together.
0: I think that makes sense also, Joe. You know, at least there's a plan. Whether you agree with it or not, that's another conversation Mm -hmm. for another day, right? But being able to see what that identity is and them actually kind of sticking to their guns, right? Joe Douglas has an absolute commitment Mm -hmm. to build from the inside out, and we've seen that. He signed four offensive linemen in the offseason, and then when he had a chance to go get the other one as the cherry on top, he did that as yep. a priority. Some of the defensive players you are seeing are all kind of game-breaking speed playmaker type. I agree with you, Joe. Another team, and 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 it's funny to me, Joe, you talk about it from Joe Douglas and Adam Gaze being on the same page. Right. Another team that I think showed you that they do this this week was the San Francisco 49ers, Joe. And let me tell you how, okay? First of all, they go, and at number 14 overall, they draft Javon Kinlaw another defensive lineman to add to that rotation the same way they've done in the first round ever since lynch and shannon have been yep. together the other piece of this i think is interesting is at number 25 overall joe they take brandon Ayuk. yes And a lot of players a lot of people i was talking to was like oh they need this kind of wide receiver no they don't <laughs> think about what san francisco does think about Debo samuel yep. right Think about the boatload of running backs that they have going into this. Think about how it's a scheme kind of thing that gets them open. And Ayuk is that kind of Swiss army life, game-breaking speed, even return potential. He is a fit there. And Mm -hmm. I think the idea of fit is so important. We talk about the Patriots, Joe, how they never kind of uh, got too hectic and pulled the trigger on a quarterback when they didn't need to. All of the defensive players they draft We had the same kind of thing. Oh, they're versatile. Lines up as weak side linebacker, can go back in safety, uh, in coverage, can help on the pass rush. Versatility for Bill Belichick. The other, last one I'll throw out here, this vain joke, the damn Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens know exactly who they are. Exactly, yep. The idea that they didn't need to get one of these top wide receivers. Ariel, our friend and colleague, was talking about how wide receiver is such a need for her, for the Baltimore Ravens. And I told her, Ariel. The Baltimore Ravens are a run-heavy play-action scheme. That's why they have tight ends running wide open in the middle of the field. You don't need to be the quote-unquote crisp route runner. Lamar Jackson in the play-action game gives yep. you that space. They all go and get Duvernay in the third round, a speedster. And if you saw the coverage live, you saw how happy Harbaugh was when they were able to pull the trigger on that one. Yeah, to their identity, a number of teams did it, Joe.
1: Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of identity at play here which i think is great we'll talk more about that coming up in hour two including the team that didn't need one but they went and got one anyway and you know what nobody cares we'll go ahead and talk about it coming up hour number two it is the early line it is the grid it is sportsgrid.com we'll be back after this